Sonic States. Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 164. Um, this is recording live today, Wednesday the 10th of February. Obviously you'll be able to get it all via your usual iTunes, MP3 and podcast sources. In fact, I got an email the other day to say that we'd now been added to the Zoom podcast library. I was really excited because it, it was quite a personally written email. So I was thinking, wow, this could be really something special. And it wasn't. It was just another directory listing. So I was a bit <laughs> disappointed, actually. I was expecting something a bit more. But uh, anyway, um, it's, it's yet another place that you can uh, listen to the podcast. If you're not listening live, uh, for those of you, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, 4 p.m. UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live. We've got a flash chat room so you can join us and kind of uh, interact while we record the show live. Um, so you'll get to hear all the pre and post show amble, uh, preamble and post amble, if that's a word, and all the other stuff and perhaps the occasional blooper that I might just cut out in case children are listening. So um, let's say hello to my guests. Uh, first of all, I'll say hello to uh, Rich Hilton, who was uh, last in, but first to be introduced. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. How about you? I'm good. How's the snow? Is it, uh, is it hellish? I've been hearing all sorts of terrible stories about 10 feet of snow and all that sort of thing. Is that what it's like? No, not here and not 10 feet anywhere. But in <laughs> Washington and Baltimore and Philadelphia, they got a huge amount of snow earlier in the week, like up to two and a half feet. And then now they've just gotten another serious dumping. And uh, we're getting the beginning this particular storm set of storms has been worse the farther south you go into the middle, mid-Atlantic. So right now we have about, I don't know, two or three inches on the ground, and it's supposed to snow all day. Crikey. Well, uh, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonis, uh, engineer to the stars, uh, producer, um, expert Pro Tools guy and recordist, um, uses some of the loveliest gear daily, on a daily basis, while recording top-class musicians. Would that be fair to say? Are you recording any top-class musicians today? Today, I'm... I'm staying in. <laughs> Today I'm staying right here. It's right here. I suppose, is this a, is this a, because last time I spoke to you about this, you were going, ah, oh, no, we'll be fine. We can get anywhere. You only, you drive when it's finished snowing. Is that the way it works? Not always. No, I could actually make it down there today, but as it happens, uh, we're not scheduled to have a session today. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Chill. Yeah. Like a resident. As uh, the yeah, well, and plus every, they closed the schools and everything, and my wife's everybody's here, so you know, stay home. Hey, I'd just like to welcome Kiwi Steve in the chat room. I got I, uh, he hit me up on Twitter last uh, at the end of last show saying that his his alarm clock didn't go off. He gets up like at four thirty in the morning just to listen to the show live. Now that is dedication. Wow, that that almost qualifies or possibly does qualify as a uh, number one fan. So Kiwi Steve, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Makes us feel. Wanted and um, only slightly stalked. <laughs> but no, really, Steve, thank you very much. I, I, hope, I hope we can perform for you because I know you missed it last week and uh, now I feel under immense pressure to keep you entertained and awake, hopefully. A um, couple more laughs there, you heard. Um, first one, uh, let's go to uh, oh, Dave Spears, uh, g4software.com. Fresh, immersed in uh, the final tweaks and stages, I guess you're voicing of Imposca 2. How, how are you, Dave? I'm not fresh. <laughs> no, fresh. <laughs> Stale? Very, very not fresh. Uh, no, but good week. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Good to be here. G4software.com. And um, also Mark Tinley from uh, sunny Cambridgeshire, or Bedfordshire, is it now? Bedfordshire, yeah, that's ah, yes. the one. I got it right. Um, I'm probably not what, I've got an inkling that what Rich isn't telling you about getting to work is that he drives a Prius and they've all been recalled for having dodgy <laughs> accelerators. And then I noticed on the news that they've also recalled the Priuses in the UK for having brakes that don't work. So, so the accelerator sticks on and the brakes don't actually stop you. <laughs> it sounds kind of scary to have both things go wrong. Lordy, Rich. You need a software update there. Isn't there some kind of USB <laughs> dongle you can plug into it to um, turn it into um, something that's going to work? Well, first of all, anybody who's worried about their Prius should send it to me. <laughs> but um, secondly, uh, actually, it's not an accelerator problem in this car. It's a floor mat recall uh, <laughs> that supposedly uh, under certain conditions where you stack three of them high can get caught under your accelerator pedal. But uh, there is a braking issue with 2010 Priuses, isn't apparently. That, isn't that a floor mat issue a bit like wearing unsuitable footwear? 
<laughs> I mean, it's like they have to recall the car because if you drive in slippers or very big socks that don't fit you properly, you might get tangled up in the pedals. No, but I just don't see any way that my floor mat could possibly get tangled up in my accelerator pedal, and I'm such a non-starter issue for me. The, the uh, breaking yeah, you- thing is is a software issue that relates to the way the engine braking interacts with the ABS system. Ah, uh, okay. Well, anyway, wow. I, I mean, I'm sure you're going to be fine. In fact, I had a, I had a bit of a, an issue. Um, I went into the server room where I've got um, a decommissioned MacBook Pro, which is the, the one before this one that I'm using to kind of um, run FTP servers and various other things. And it was looking a bit funny on the on the um, surface. So I looked in and the battery had sort of popped out and I took the battery out and the battery oh, yeah. blew up. Uh-huh. It had I've actually blown up. But, I mean... Ver- I've and, got one exactly the same. And very fortunately, well done, right? n- not caught fire and burnt the building down. I think Apple has a recall. I think you'll get a free battery if you bring it to an Apple store, if you have Apple stores over there. Um, if, if you get to an Apple store, you'll, you should be able to get it. I think there's a recall for those batteries. Yeah, I'm not, I've got exactly the same thing. It's swelled up to, like, double the thickness. Yeah, well, I'm going to take it in. I am going to take it in and say, do you know what's happening? <laughs> they'll say yes of course well anyway Mark Tinley um, where are we directing you at the moment autismhero.com yeah that, that one will do yeah okay brilliant um, uh, first of all I want to say thanks to Chris Blaze for dropping us a line he's been listening to he's, he's listened to all 163 a uh, few of them more than once here. he really enjoys it and thinks we're all doing a great job and I think, uh, as he remembered, that he was one of the first ever feedbackers for the podcast, which was uh, – so it's, it's fitting that he's here now for uh, 164. Um, he was uh, – we were talking a bit about, you know, is, is there nobody creating new sounds? And he points me in the direction of the latest work from BT, um, These Hopeful Machines, which I haven't had a chance to listen to, but it's supposed to be very good and quite uh, inventive and creative. So uh, I will check that out. Thanks very much to Chris and a shout out to you. And thanks for hooking up with us. And remember, if uh, anybody else has any comments to make, you can either send an email to sonictalk at sonicstate.com or you can contact us via Skype, which is Sonic Talk. There are a couple of Skype in numbers, one in the US and one in the UK, um, which are in the show notes. So you can leave a message. So um, let's start. Uh, iConnectivity. Now, it's, on the face of it, seems like um, not much at all, but it's, it looks like an old-fashioned USB to MIDI interface. Um, but what it is, is uh, a two-in, two-out. It's also got, it's got a USB connector, another USB connector, which is, I, I think allows you to connect a USB to MIDI interface to it as well, so it can drive another MIDI interface, but it's also got an RJ50, like an Ethernet port, which has an iPhone iPod touch cable, so you can hook it up to your your device and presumably the iPad and it gives you a, a MIDI interface. 125 bucks pretty much are not available yet. Looks like they're shipping kind of end of this month, uh, beginning of next month. And it could be um quite a big shift in terms of how we use these things music, you know, for musical devices, the handheld kind of approach. And did you check it out? Dave, did you see that? I did, yeah. It, uh, so I looked at the frequently asked questions and it was like, okay, so what is it? And it allows you, to, it's a compact piece of hardware that connects your iPhone, iPod Touch to the world of MIDI enabled devices such as synthesizers, drum pads. And I was kind of hoping that it would work the other way as well so that I could MIDI oh. control things that I've got on my iPhone. But it's got, yeah, it's got MIDI in as well. Okay, so that's that is the case. Please. Mm. Yeah, no, I was confused there for a bit, but it's probably my new glasses. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like it could be, I mean, I know we, you know, it, it's almost, I, I know we do go on about iPhone, iPods, whatever, or whatever they may be, you know, just handheld devices. But I think the, the reason is, is that we're kind of searching for the, the piece of hardware or the, 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 the thing that links it all together and makes it all feasible and possible. And this looks like it could be a contender. I mean, it's obviously not there yet, but uh, it could be. I know, Mark, you're a big fan of using your iPod for kind of your, uh, your, your iPhone for as much as possible. I mean, do you think this is something that you could see the need for? I mean, I, you could run a show off it if you ran, if it played MIDI files, couldn't you, if you had an app that played MIDI files? It is, yeah, you, it's kind of cool. I like it, yes. But I, I'm going to jump completely over it and say that I also like something called Touch Ask, which is brilliant. Have but you talked about them? I don't on think we yet? have. I know, know nothing about it. Right, Touch Ask is like a, having a Jazz Mutant Lemur on your iPhone, a mini one, and it connects via Wi-Fi. So I'm almost sort of wondering, well, why, you know, and actually it's very, you know, you, put, you can put dials and faders on your iPod or your iPhone screen, and you can move the faders up and down, and the, the latency is actually pretty usable. Right. So I almost wonder why we need wires. 
Well, I can it's, imagine the latency would be less because, I mean, the thing is it's when you're doing – you're triggering and you're playing rhythm stuff or you, you've got something specifically coming in or through. That's going to be the, the biggest one. And I don't know – I imagine Wi-Fi is going to be an inherent latency there. But uh, I'd like to check that yeah, out, actually. I recommend you go and get TouchOsk and put it on your iPhone and connect it to a network directly to the computer you're using it with and then load up the piano interface right so it has like a piano touch screen piano and then play the piano through logic audio and you'll so what does be, it do is it, do you have an you'll application very, uh, yeah, you'll be very surprised at how short a latency it actually does have so you oh, okay. does it does it does it require like a little host thing or is it just work over midi over uh wireless midi that's one of the mac driver type things well it uses uh wireless I think it is called OSC, actually, isn't it? The oh, thing see, that Ableton yeah. uses to to communicate with the outside world. So it uses that. So you actually have to load a little bit of third-party software to convert those commands into MIDI. So I suppose there's a little bit of uh, lag in that. Mm-hmm. But the fact, but but if you connect it to Ableton, it will just control Ableton from an Ableton template. Oh, it's right. all, okay. it's no, really to... cool because what because I, I mean I I. I thought about it in terms of like the iPhone. It's so cool that you can have a mini Jazz Mutant Lima type thing on an iPhone. But when they make templates for the iPad, it's going to make the iPad a very cheap Jazz Mutant. Yeah, Lima. that's what we talked about that last week as a possibility. I mean, I'm sure they'd be working on the same thing. Is it? Is it made? Who's it made by? It's not made by uh, Jazz Mutant, is it? This no. is Hex, Hexler.net. Oh, is it? Okay. Hexler.net. I'm just looking at it, and it does indeed look very cool. Hmm. Oh, well, we'll have to check that out. I'll see if we can hook it up for next week. Um, Akai Pete, who is uh, is a man who knows these things, says Wi-Fi is fast enough for most uses. The problem is if the link stalls for any reason, then you have a problem, which, yeah, I, I, I can see that, and that would be the case. I don't know, Rich, can you, uh, can you imagine this being of any use? I mean, it looks like a kind of just a universally useful MIDI interface that will plug into pretty much anything you want. I could imagine it being used live with certain yeah. things. I could see yeah, that being I can, handy. I can see a use for it. I think it's very handy. Very cool product. Looked, looked very nice. I mean, everything about the ad said this is nothing but a mock-up and we don't really have one yet. But Yes, it, it did. It sounds that. like <laughs> a good idea to me. It was, it, was a, <laughs> it was an element of that, but it is only only a matter of weeks away from release. Uh, I, I think also, I mean, this is very um, very apt considering you have a Prius, but there's also something called iConnect <laughs> Auto, which uh, is available mid-2010. This device enables your iPhone or iPod Touch to communicate directly with your vehicle's computer. You'll be able to track fluid levels, how often you use your brakes or not, and how fast you're travelling when you do break and more, all with your iPod, iPhone or iPod Touch. So they've obviously got a kind of corner in the market on interfacing between those two pieces of hardware. That looked that look quite Is that the same company? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's okay. not that surprising. Yeah, no, There's guess. a piece of software, RevLite as well, which connects it to a BMW computer, I think. I mean, I can't imagine what sort of seals and warranties you have to break to actually hook into the, to the vehicle's computer. Well, no. I mean, for if you example- could ship your car from your phone, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> for example, my, um, my home theater rig by LG over here uh, has an iPod dock on it. When you connect your iPod, their software reads what's on the iPod and allows you to access various functions in music and video and such. And... My son's uh, Sony car stereo, I believe, does the same thing with his iPod. It reads the the directory data and is able to uh, allow you to interface through their interface with it. So this is not a stretch to me. But can he take the rev limiter off? (laughs) No, right, right. Well, no, it's not intended for reverse. uh, Like in Britain, a lot of the supercars are limited to 155 miles an hour. But if you poke... That'd be good if you had that on your phone. That would be pretty no, cool. I Although, what I'm, I mean, the thing is, there's no multitasking. You get a phone call while you're sort of controlling your car's engine with the, yeah. But um, the point is that once you've handled the interfacing between um, the device and the car, all you have to do is write an app, basically, and you're in, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting idea. 
you get, get these third-party garage hackers. You know, your mechanic comes around to your place with his little custom app on his iPhone and he reprograms your car. Anyway, it's not very music tech, is it? But um, but the MIDI interface looks fun and also they look like they've got a few other kind of concepts in there that uh, are worth watching. But hopefully, well, we might see this at Mesa, I'm supposing, if it's uh, February, March, they might well have a stand there. So we'll check and see if they've got iConnect MIDI because I'm sure they'll be demonstrating it if it does in fact work and is real. But that would be the ideal thing. Um, speaking of trade shows, NAM Oddities. Um, this is uh, brilliant. This is Barry Woods, who's a sort of legendary yearly column. He does a roundup of all the weird stuff he finds at NAM. It's got the the it's www.otherroom.com. Ah, yes, the first one was the was this. probably enough of that actually but uh, in case you were wondering that was a lowry prestige a5000 which is the most massive organ and i mean um, obviously key of the keyboard variety um playing but uh, bearing in mind the music he was playing has probably got a double entendre meaning there if you would like to read that into it also the uh, lowry prestige a5000 um organ was there couldn't find a price must be very very expensive clearly enjoyed that there was also um the eastward no what was it the visionary instruments lcd disc guitar anyone see that yeah i like that yeah mm. i thought if it had a video of a hand on it behind the strings it could make it look like i knew what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> you download mp4s to it and it'll just um do you know it'll whatever it does Whatever it does, it, uh, it it'll play them on the uh, on the on the LCD screen. And who is it? It's uh, somebody from Porcupine Trees using it. And he says he plays it, or sort of uses it for one number in the set, and everybody goes crazy for it because you can see it from a long way off. It's got a thirteen-inch LCD in the body of the guitar, and the pickup's really neatly mounted. I don't know how the hell they do that. It must cut a hole in it. I don't know whether LC how you get LCDs to work that. But anyway, looks kind of fun. Um, what else was there? Ooh, uh, the Eastwood four-string guitar. That looked fun. Did anyone see that? <laughs> little, basically a little yeah. short-scale guitar with only four strings and lots of space between them. I guess yep. it's like an electric ukulele, isn't it? Well, they, they did have a Flying V electric ukulele there. Ah, yes, the SpongeBob, the SpongeBob yes, SquarePants. I love that. <laughs> well, actually, I wish I'd taken a picture because they had, in fact, an entire band of SpongeBob um, products. There was a little SpongeBob drum kit, bass guitar, acoustic guitar, Flying V ukulele. And I, I really, I really was almost was very tempted to buy my daughter the SpongeBob's um, drum kit, but then I realised I live in a really small house, and that would be really stupid. <laughs> but I just like the look of it. I, I, I quite fancy having one in the office. Just a tiny little SpongeBob. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know why there's any connection between SpongeBob and musical instruments. I mean, I can't. Is there a historical connection there, Rich? That I, perhaps I don't know about. Only in so far as that the people who play who've been playing musical instruments a really long time probably did some of the same recreational substances as the people who draw spongebob <laughs> that's probably a good point yeah the fret and rest did you see that the fr- it's a it's a it's a, a a wrist rest when you're using your computer you know there was a there are lots of people used to use them the little sponge things that speaking of spongebob there's another link there that you can rest your wrists on while you use a keyboard but while you're when you're taking a break you can flip it over and it's actually a little fretboard so you can practice your fingering techniques i'm gonna buy that for somebody i know 26.95 dollars yeah the oh, fret okay. and rest and the i quote is a computer wrist rest that doubles as a guitar practice device what more do you need to know <laughs> Genius. Genius. Anyone else see anything that they um that they liked in that uh in that oddity collection? There's a lot there. I mean I'm glad to say that most of the instruments we, we already filmed. I'll tell you what I did think it was genius. The sim bag. No, I missed that. The only time your symbols need to be out of their bags is when you're hitting them. Oh yes. Genius. Yes, yeah, so they're like little neoprene laptop cases for all your symbols. Yeah. What a great idea. And think and that, how many you could flog. Yeah, of course. And also, you wouldn't get fingerprints <laughs> on any of them either, would you? Brilliant. Just brilliant. Mm, nice. Uh, oh, there's one other shout. Um, the Gig Rig Pro 14, which is a pedal board. 
um, which usually, I mean, those of you who've toured um, and, you know, you usually get some bloke who's really brilliant at making stuff, uh, especially pedal boards to make you a custom pedal board. It's kind of like a rites of passage for any kind of gigging guitarist or bass player, isn't it, to have your own custom pedal board. And uh, this is for some pity for people who can't afford to have one made because they are very expensive because they need to be robust. More. This has got little dip switches on all of the uh, pedals. So there are 10 circuits in there and you just flip the circuits that you want in with the dip switches. So when you hit the pedal, it flips in the various circuits. I thought that was a really neat idea. Apart from the fact like, that di- dip switches I are like... Sorry. I like there's a thing called a voice capo. Did anybody see that? It's What's a that? It's like a strangulate, like yeah. a garrot. Strapped <laughs> on the top of your guitar, and it basically changes the the open tuning of your guitar. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a thing that when I first was going to learn the guitar in the end of the 1970s, they used to have this product in the Exchange and Mark magazine, which you strap guitar, and it was like an auto chord kind of thing, and you pressed buttons down. And it made chord shapes. And this thing kind of does the same thing. But I don't know if you can switch quickly enough between them that somebody that couldn't play the guitar could use it for that. Oh, no, I've seen... Yeah, I saw that. We've got something like that here in the office. Hold on. I've just seen it. It's on the floor. Um, Not that that's... (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) If you've got an original one, they're worth a tune, the original ones. They're uh, sort of a collector's item now. Exchange of art. There's a glass from the past. That yeah. must be why he's got it in such no, a here place. Is. This is called a slide chord. It's a play and learn major and minor guitar chords with one device. And I think you just put it on the um, on the guitar. Hold on, I'll open the packaging. Put it on the guitar and just sort of slide it up and down the neck, and it throws a um, looks like a major shape or a major yeah major shape. Oh, I see. All oh, right, so you just not quite the same thing at all. It's just like a big hand. <laughs> so you just, instead of using your fingers you just clap this thing on it and if you want to just play major chords then that's fine well not, this thing's not, like a box that straps onto the head end of the neck right, and, and you will press... play all the open chords for you but, ah, I, okay. but they had various different ones in the sort of late 70s and uh, I've, I've got a four string one somewhere but they had a, a sort of a metal thing a metal thing that looked like a very sort of thin tin box that would strap on the end of a guitar neck and would ha- and it had about 40 different chords on it oh so it's like a, an auto harp yeah mm. but, but for your guitar Except it turns your guitar into an auto harp basically yeah that's a great pretty idea much. auto harps aren't they every home's got one and they're all terribly out of tune <laughs> it's the unplayable <laughs> there's one in our house and i tried tuning it after about an hour i just gave up I just thought the thing was like to explode, you know, because it sort of creaks. It just looks like it's never been changed. Well, the strings are probably like 30 years old. Oh, at least, yeah, at least. (laughs) Well, anyway, I I think this is probably a good time to uh, introduce our advertiser. And uh, we'd like to say thank you very much to Yamaha.co.uk for sponsoring the show. They continue to do so. Um, God knows why, but uh, we must be doing something right for them. And I I, I thoroughly appreciate their support. Um, We'd like you to uh, go and check out sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, where you will find a couple of links. There's one to the Yamaha download podcast. In fact, there's a Feb show, uh, which is just up because we're, well, we're inside Feb now. And it's all things guitar. There's very little else explaining it. So you'll have to download it and find out what all things guitar could possibly mean. But as you know, Yamaha make a lot of guitar things. So uh, do check them out. They've got some very, very nice acoustic and electric guitars, I remember um, Yamaha make. Anyway, um, but that's a monthly show. It's usually got plenty of artist interviews. Uh, They often get a band or two playing in the studio and uh, check out the sort of gear that they're using, um, production tips and techniques. Great podcast. Um, Please do check it out. Go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha and the link will be there. There's also the Yamaha newsletter which is the monthly e-shot. It's called the Yamaha Roundup, um, which pops in only once a month. Again, it just draws attention to a lot of the articles and uh, artist relation stuff and artist interviews and production tips and trips and techniques and all of that kind of stuff, including some cool synth techniques that they're running on yamahadownload.co.uk. So please do check them out. We do uh, welcome them as a sponsor, and we're very happy that they're still here. And we'll be seeing them at Mesa, I hope. We're looking forward to seeing what Yamaha have got coming up, because uh, Mesa is coming... Uh, towards the end of March, 23rd of March to the 26th. We're still working out our hotels for that. Um, that's going to be a bit of a laugh because for some reason they put the prices up by three times for that time of year, but I'm sure Yamaha are in the Whoa. same boat as us. But Yamaha, as you know, have a massive hall at, at Mesa. It's quite a sight to behold with this amazing 
sort of gallery with a glass wall that leans out so you can stand literally on the end there's nothing below you and you're just looking down on it. it's quite impressive and, and ultimately quite scary I had to meet um, uh, Mr Peck there once and I was standing there and by the time he arrived I was feeling quite dizzy but anyway Thank you very much to Yamaha for continued sponsorship. SonicState.com forward slash Yamaha. Please do check them out. Uh, great podcast, great newsletter, great company, great sponsors. Oh, yes, th- this is, I know this one's quite interesting. This Steinberg Museum. Uh, this is, a, 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 well, you might, when I first looked at it, it's this rather nifty um, sort of virtual reality flash-based application, which on, on first look is, is really quite captivating and a fascinating, fascinating way to present uh, information and, and stuff on the history of Steinberg. And there's uh, interviews with Carl Steinberg and Manfred Rurup, who are the two founder members, as far as I know. And the timeline uh, is, the, the, the kind of uh, metaphor they use is a building with lifts, so you go in the lift and you go to the first floor and, you know, that's 1984 when they released Pro 16 and there's a little bit of a chat with Carl and Manfred talking about it and then 86 is Pro 24, 88 Pro 24 version and so on and so forth. And it was like a trip down memory lane. You know, it's it, now that, you know, we're all further down the line, we, I mean, some of us obviously use Cubase still, but, I mean, I don't. I moved away from it. I moved to the Mac before Cubase was available there. So it's like a, it was like a real trip down of, of nostalgia for me. And um, the one thing I did find quite funny is obviously you can really tell that they're programmers because they're terrible interviewers. They really are not the guys that you want. Um, they're a bit camera shy. But did anyone else um, find themselves reminiscing alongside me? Did uh, enjoy? I think it's a great way to present company inf- info as well. So I poked around in there and found it quite good fun, and it reminded me of lots of things that I used to use many, many, many moons ago, particularly Pro 16, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, I was. Someone, pro, I, I didn't. I came in on board with Pro 24. I think that was my first. I couldn't stand that program. <laughs> no, I couldn't either. I I loved Pro 16. Pro 16 was brilliant, and then Pro 24 was just something else completely. Just like overlapping patterns and stuff was a complete nightmare in that program and it wouldn't work the same way but oh god i remember doing sessions on my first ever paid programming gigs on pro 24 and i did one for ztt and it was Anne pigal who was a kind of arty pop french artist and uh, i was hired i think i did two or three days there and at the end of it i think they basically realized i didn't know what the hell i was doing <laughs> <laughs> and there was a yeah but i didn't i mean it was you know because i had no idea how to use the program because it was bloody impenetrable but, uh, <laughs> but anyway it, so it I, really was it was it really totally was. Impen- <laughs> it was absolutely all yeah pro 24 so i moved and then um but then all those other things i do remember you know because using you know the the atari i i was fully steinbergly hardwared up to the max you know i was running cubase i had uh, the time lock which plugged into the parallel port or the serial port on the back which was the the uh, simpty sync thing i had midx which was uh, came on that was on the dongle port which gave you ex- additional midi channels i had a smp24 you know i had the whole lot of hardware basically the steinberg stuff and it just really i thought god i remember all of that it was so it sort of took you back to the time when working with computers and music wasn't like a job in, M- in IT. There was still quite a lot of creativity involved because you, don't, you yeah. weren't generating any data. You were ge- the, gener- the data you were generating was basically performance and arrangement based. It wasn't just gigabytes and gigabytes of versions and data and all that stuff. It was uh, so I, I was sort of hankering after that. I know Dave Spears. I expect you probably uh, were thinking back to that as well. Were you not? Did you enjoy the uh, the trip down memory lane? I did. I thought it was really good fun, actually, and I I defend Manfred to the end, actually, because he's top lad. I think he's just too cool for school, and that's probably why he comes across in that way on the uh, on the interviews. No, I mean I really enjoyed the things like 1996 Cubase VST for Mac. Yes, but let's not forget 1992. Topaz, the four-channel playback and two-channel recording <clears throat> hardware with four megabytes of RAM and Cubase Topaz. How much do you reckon? Oh, go on, 600. 600 quid, yeah. 19,000 Deutschmarks, which I <laughs> guess is about two grand, wasn't it? It was about 10. Was it? No, it was five, wasn't it? Five Deutschmarks to the pound, I think it was. Yeah. So a lot. 360 me- megabyte hard drive, 3,290 Deutschmarks. <laughs> 1.3 gigabytes, 6,900. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, because Topaz looked really flashy, didn't it? It looked like the future 
It was their version Everything of... Didn't like Yam- Yamaha had something similar, didn't they? It was a, I can't remember what it was. It was like a box that did hard disk recording that interfaced with Cubase or with your sequencer. Yeah, uh, I forget what it was called, but I remember uh, I was nearly nearly got one of those at one point. But um, there was some, you know, there was just some final compatibility issue, or so, I, I forget now. I but, had an Akai one, which was brilliant, a four-track Akai thing. Did it? But that probably wasn't until about ninety-three or ninety-four, maybe. But it just—I mean—it just made me kind of think back. I know we're probably sounding like a bunch of old farts, but just going back to how how it all started out and what kind of stuff. W- was cutting edge then and you know i remember avalon as well the sample edit software do you remember that that was the only yeah, way, that was the only that. way you could make loops crossfade loops it was the only way but you had to transfer all your samples via midi which took about a year <laughs> yeah i disagree i think the best way to crossfade loops at that time was to midi dump your sample into an in sonic eps or the, absolutely uh, uh, and then they had a function called a synthesized loop so if you've got a problem trying to loop something, it could do like this cross-faded loop that did, it just did something different to what everything else does. And I still think it's the best looping thing, even now, actually, in terms of if you want to crunch data down and have a small sample. I know, but nobody bothers, but loop nobody bothers looping anymore. They just go, yeah, let no. it ring, let it play out. Yeah. Pianos can only go on so long, after all. You know. Hard to sell that 13-bit architecture these days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, great. Did, Rich, did you get a chance to look at any of that stuff? Anything I did. Catch your eye? Did, were you? Well, first, I guess it was. I guess it must be very much a European thing as well, because I mean, we were. It was all Atari based, all of that stuff to begin with, which wasn't really a US thing. Because I remember going to um, work with uh, a US artist um, on a remix, and I, they had to hire me an Atari so I could, you know, program. And it took them like a week to find. Yeah, me. had exactly yeah. the same thing. So, Rich, would, would, did, did it have the same resonance for you, I guess? Yeah, quite a bit. Well, it has all kinds of resonances for me because I used their stuff from 94 until 98 and beta tested for them. Um, but before that, I had a friend, and still have this friend, who was using Pro 24 in the late 80s. Yeah. So I was exposed to it, and I saw what he was doing with it, and I saw what you had to do to get around it. And then uh, at the time, I was using Performer, and then when I started working with Nile in 88, I started using the Synclavier. And I, got, I was basically in Synclavier for like eight, seven or eight years. But in 94, I started to transition to Cubase because they were supporting TDM. And I became a beta tester for them and beta tested until the time when they broke their promise and dropped the support. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, continued to run their native stuff on occasion until they uh, unceremoniously dumped me without warning. But um, but as relates to this website, I thought it was really nicely designed and kind of fun to navigate. And I didn't spend a whole lot of time watching the videos because I've seen all of this stuff come and go along the way. And I know Charlie and I've met Manfred and I, you know. So, um, yeah, it was nice. It was fun. It's all very – he can look back now. Because of that thing that happened in 96 with VST, he can look back now and take – credit for bringing large-scale native uh, sequencing to the masses. And he deserves that. He's a, he's a good guy, and he deserves that much. I, would, I mean, I would say further back than that even. I mean, I think Cubase was the first linear recording. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was the first non-pattern-based, as far as I recall, because everybody else was right. doing it on, on patterns. I mean, this was... Uh, this was just like I can't. No, remember. you had sound tools. Mm, no, no, no. In MIDI, I'm talking that. MIDI for MIDI. I don't know about that. There were some truly awful non non pattern based recorders that would just record stuff and quantize it. But Cubase gave you the integration of the patterns with the with the timeline in there a was, really clever way. There was a product by whoever became Voyetra, uh, a PC based uh, MIDI recorder. And there was a Roland sequencer that I don't know actually who wrote it, but Roland distributed it in the mid-'80s. And there were a number of things. The performer would record linearly as uh, MIDI. If we're talking about linear MIDI recording, there I was guess, a lot I of stuff. I guess it depends on the platform, doesn't it? But that, I think Cubase that, that... is definitely the first one that laid it out in a window where you could see things and chop them up and move them around like that. It, yeah. they, they invented yeah, that, be... uh, that editing window kind of style. Paradigm, yeah. Uh-huh. For arrangement and stuff. But I think the, the bringing it to native computing with VST was a very significant thing for them, 
for the life of their company and for the subsequent products that have come out since. Oh, it revolutionized everything, didn't it? I think oh, yeah, so. totally. I mean, they were huge, weren't they? They were. They must. I mean, you know, looking at the stuff that they were developing there. I mean, Jesus, how much money in the bank would you have to develop something like a Topaz system back in '92? I mean, they must have made because when you look right back at the first ads and stuff for Pro 16, it looks kind of like a um, Robert Crumb kind of uh, underground comic. You know, it's, it's really sort of <laughs> totally away from where they ended up in '92. Astonishing, and you know, that's you know less than ten years, and they're they're doing this kind of hardware development for very high end, you know, at the time stuff. I mean, it's astonishing, really, absolutely amazing. Funny how the lift ends on floor 14 in 1997. Ah, I didn't go that far. I didn't have time to make it all the way up to the top floor. That's it. Nothing past there. Nothing past. I suppose it is a museum, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Really good. Yeah, no, good fun. And, and, you know, it just, it kind of brings it all back. I don't know, um, you you sort of think about it, but that was the main thing for me. It just made me think, oh, I remember, you know, it wasn't. Because I've just spent the week in IT management, really. You know, I haven't done anything creative at all. I've just been trying to figure out how to make computers do stuff that I want them to and archiving and networking and stuff. And it's just, it's a bit tedious, really. Thank goodness I've got this cool Chaosolator Pro to play with. (laughs) Which, incidentally, seems to be stuck on about 1989. (laughs) Brilliant. Yes, uh, that, that, that arrived today. Um, I'm very um, pleased to say I think we've got access to one of the first ones in the country and we hopefully will be first to web with that. That's going to be I'm throwing everything else out of the way and uh, getting on with that because um, that will be quite an exciting review. And it's a lovely piece of kit, actually. Very solid, metal thing. In fact, the pad itself is about the same size as the original Chaosolator pad. Um, it's a Chaosolator unit in total, so it's like a kind of Chaos KP3. Exactly the same as a KP3, but with loads of other features. I'm looking forward to getting my teeth stuck into that. Very much. Um, anyway, uh, where else are we going after that? Oh, well, that, yeah, so that was Steinberg Museum. Uh, it's basically go to museum.steinberg.net and, uh, and go I'm and have a look at it. I'm stuck on it now. Are you? What, I'm looking on? at spectrum analysis. Wave lag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the point in that? I'll tell, I'll tell you what made Steinberg a ton of money when they did a bundle deal with Creative Labs on their AWE 32s. Oh, I can imagine, uh, yeah. With Cubasis and stuff like that. It must have made him a mint. AWE think, 32s were the sound card, weren't they? I mean, it's but just, it was, uh, yeah. In and Europe, the they were shipping a quarter of a million AWE 32s a month in Europe. Whoa. They I must mate. have OEM'd them, surely. Oh. Were, they not being, were they being built into uh, pre, pre-built computers? Must have been. It's that number. That's astonishing, isn't it? They were one of the, they were one of the first to give away LE versions of their big program. I think weren't they? I think so. Because and and now everybody does it except uh, Pro Tools, and now actually they sort of do too. No, they do too. Digital Design went through a spate of giving uh, Pro Tools away free, didn't they? For a minute there, but. Not very but long. But it wasn't like an LE. They were giving away with other people's hardware, whereas now they do. Oh, no, they were M just audio. giving it away. Right. Now they, now they do with, like, you know, you can buy an $80 M Audio microphone and it comes with some three track version of Pro Tools or something, you know. Does it? Like, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure, actually. You have to check some of that stuff out. There are, there are all sorts of bundles. That's true. Yeah, there's a, new, there's a new promotion they've got where if you buy one of the, you know, uh, at beginner end M Audio products, you get some sort of little tiny version of Pro Tools with it. If you've got Pro Tools already, will they give you something else? Not no, that I understand. I thought so. It would be far <laughs> too <should>. complicated. <laughs> I want something else. They should give I wish you luck with that. I wish that. you luck with that, though. Can I have an extra three tracks? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> three more tracks. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, anyway, Steinberg, go check it out. Now, well, um, we could do a couple of things next. Um, we've got the interesting workflow of Ableton Live, which I don't know if any of you got a chance to check out. Hmm. Uh, and I've just realised I didn't write down who it was that we were looking at. If anyone could remember to, anyone know who was it? It was Ski, ski Beats. Yo, what's the deal, y'all? It's your boy Ski Beats. For those who don't know me, I'm a producer. I produce tracks for Jay Z, Reasonable Doubt, 
Camp Low, all their albums, Foxy Brown, Little Kim, Nas, Raekwon, Jada Kiss, list goes on. That sadly wasn't the clip I was expecting to play, but it gives you a rough idea of what uh, what was going on there. Ski Beats, who was doing a kind of, um, you know, behind the scenes, this is what I use Ableton for. And uh, he was in so I, it was a fantastically high-rise apartment with uh, what looked like an Open Labs Nico kind of vibe where he was running Ableton Live on it. And it was really interesting to see um, the kind of workflow he was using and, and particularly the way he used warp to slice up samples into various beats and then rather than quant- and then play it in and then rather than quantize them, he'd actually just bounce it to a track and then re-warp it to get it in time again. But this is just seemed like a really interesting workflow. And amongst other things, he did quite a number of things that looked quite interesting. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a sample or the real deal? No, it was a real child, yeah. <laughs> Dave, are you much into Ableton? Are you kind of found... Because it just it, it struck me as a good, in, a good way of working, actually. And I thought, oh, that's, that's great, actually. Really good and interesting was, workflow. Yeah, no, I thought, and I thought it was a really good vid, actually. Apart from the rap at the end, which I thought was particularly dire. But hey, there you go. Um, no, I did. I thought it was really good. I am getting into live more and more. Uh, can't really say any more than that at the minute. Right. Whoa. <laughs> that sounds like you were saying something intriguing, but I can't think yes. what it could possibly be. Mm, good. Good. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, me too. Very, I mean, all these vids are really well shot and teach your staff and they've got cool guys. And, I mean, I've always been a fan of Houston's demos. And yeah. Uh, yeah, every time I've got something to demo that needs to hook up to MIDI or audio, I'll do it in Ableton or do it in as many things as I possibly can, just so that I'm gradually getting my head around how I could use it in a creative environment. And it was really interesting to see him, how fluent he was. And uh, one of the things he said was, you know, you've got to get, get um, up your warp game. And I think that seems to be the key to the whole the whole program in a lot of ways. And uh, particularly when you – and also, but when you're looking at the uh, – you saw the video of the uh, Serato Bridge, the bridge software, which is pretty astonishing as well. They can hook up DJs and they can control and clock and and work with uh, Ableton as well and record to Ableton, which was another kind. I think we covered that in one of right. the NAMM shows. But right. yeah, cool. Nice workflow. I don't know, Rich, you, you're, you use Ableton sometimes, don't you? Have you found any kind I of do. particularly unique workflows that you just think, wow, I couldn't do that in any other, in any other program? Ableton is loaded with workflows that are unique to its own environment, which is one reason why people who come to it from the other DAWs find that they the other DAWs are more similar in workflow to each other than any of them are to Ableton. And so it takes a minute for one to wrap their head around the way they organize things in that one glorious window. But uh, I, I unfortunately didn't get a lot of time to spend with Ski Beats, and I'm going to look in on it. But I've seen a lot of people operate Ableton in a lot of different ways. And what has struck me from the very beginning is how they interface. They've created an interface that allows people who are coming to music from DJ culture to be effective, as well as people who come to music from either an engineering or a more musical culture. And, um, you know, add to that the existence of the Akai and the Novation controllers and the way you can easily map things and modify things. And it's just a really, really flexible and wonderful little sandbox to create sounds and music in. And uh, mm. I, uh, this guy confirms from he comes more from an MPC background. Yeah, well, he was the mm. one thing he talks about in it is that they've, they've really nailed the MPC Swung 16 grooves, which you can see him using liberally. And it's definitely got that that lazy hip-hop vibe that just right. definitely kind of, you know, you, you recognize it. Well, and they've got a drum machine that works on some level functionally very much like that. Also, you can drag samples to pads and you can – it's just a really quick and – you can drag whole pieces of music to pads. It, mm. It's a very quick and intuitive way to work. And for guys who come from the MPC world of production, I can see where that would be appealing too. So it's just a very broadly – appealing program to work in and uh 
Mm. I will spend some more time with this video. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, one thing that uh, is worth mentioning that I've just finished the review of the Oxygen uh, version three, and the live integration with that that uses something called DirectLink, which is kind of a bit like HyperControl Lite. It's sort of you know not nothing like the integration, but um, it integrates quite well with Pro Tools as you'd expect. But also. The, the real kind of shining star was the way it integrates with live, and that's really quite intuitive and nice in the way that the... So what happens is the knobs and the, the faders and the buttons all correspond to the bank of eight faders that you're on. Uh, fader number nine is the master output. And then um, the knobs control whatever device you've got highlighted on whatever track you're um, highlighted on. So you can just... Click on mm-hmm. it, and then your knobs just will just control that immediately, and there's no you know there's no messing around. That was really cool. It was very immediate, and I that, I really dug that, and it kind of made me get it a little bit more, helped me get Ableton even a little bit more. So that, uh, well worth checking out the Oxygen V3s. Uh, right, Axiom Axiom uh, Pros and uh, Novation also claim to do all of that. I'm sure well. they do, yeah. Uh, but this is you know basically the Oxygen V3 is like ninety quid. Right. It's yeah. Really, it's a small it's a small M audio keyboard, right? It, no, it's a you got a, a twenty-five, a forty-nine, and a sixty-one. So, right, but, but yeah, right. it's low but it's cost. M Audio's line is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. The it's oxygen? a low cost one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, good uh, stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good one. I thought we'd get a plug in there because because um, I'll be publishing the review soon. Um, okay, um, what's next? Ah, fantastically pointless. Always like these. This is from uh, Bartle Hogard, who is uh, a regular contributor to the show in terms of uh, topics. Thank you very much, Bartle. He's always digging up great stuff. So um, let me just play the play the actual audio for this because it's quite um, it's quite beautiful in a kind of weird sort of way. I'll I'll fade that out a bit because it's getting a bit Pierre Boulez, but um, that was, you probably know what it is because obviously I sent you the link, but that was basically uh, an art piece by a French artist called Celeste Bouzier-Mouginal. I'm not sure quite how I'd uh, pronounce that. And it was brilliant. He had a couple of Les Pauls on stands in uh, like an interior garden uh, with... a load of birds just kind of came along and sat on it and, you know, flying up and down and pulling twigs through the strings and they were highly amplified, which I couldn't really... They didn't seem to scare themselves with the noise they made, which uh, was a kind of bizarre idea. But um, I don't know what birds they were, but um, it was just quite nice in a in a weird kind of way and didn't sound too dissimilar from things that have had a lot of thought put into them, I thought. <laughs> well, I was joking that on his next tour, Fred Frith will be bringing an aviary with him. <laughs> I, don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever seen his prepared guitar project. I haven't, no. And the, and the other thing that came to mind was, man, those pickups sound like bird shit. Hey! Bada-bing! <laughs> Excellent. I really liked it. My yes. favorite piece of sound art in, in a sound art exhibition I went to was a piece of music called Guitar Drag, where they literally tied a Stratocaster to, to the back of a truck and then dragged it for several miles <laughs> until it came completely to pieces. And I've got that somewhere on CD. I bought it. I liked it so much. Which is I your favorite track? I liked this as well. I don't know why I like the sound of guitars being beaten to hell, but I do. <laughs> Oh no! I just thought it was kind of, uh, dainty, little tiny birds jumping up and down on strings. It just there. Was, I mean, I didn't play all of it. There are some other bits which are slightly less random and have sort of things that you can grab hold of. Uh, John Van Eaton in the chat room says, "I bet he got a federal grant." <laughs> <laughs> I bet he did. Yeah, the French are very big on um, on on um, giving Wigan. artists money to do stuff that nobody else would ordinarily pay for. <laughs> uh, we're going to try and do the same. Up. You're going to do the same, are you, Dave? What are you going to do? We, we thought about coming to Bath, getting a grant to come to Bath with a synth and do it, not with a load of birds, but with a flock of seagulls. Hey! 
Oh. Mind you, they would be covered in poo. I mean, it would really. The seagulls are rampant round here. You should see the sort of sort of uh, building defences they have to put up for it. They're a bit mad, aren't they? Yeah. Seagulls. Seagulls Chris said bit... it sounded like a jazz guitar solo to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, there is an element of that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, that was on the BBC website, and that was um, BBC Arts blogger Will Gompers, who uh, goes on the text accompanying it. Just reminds me of why I can't bear art aficionados. I mean, I just enjoyed it because it was what it was. I don't really need to analyse it any more than that. Um, whereas, obviously, there are a lot of people who feel they do. <laughs> and that's what pisses me off. <laughs> Jim Jim Jar Jimmy calls them art holes, which is the sort of people who go on about art in a sort of <laughs> needlessly intellectual fashion to justify their existence as art critics. I guess that brings us sort of nearly to the end because um, uh, that sort of fluttering to the end, falling gently to the ground like a lost feather. I'm rather enjoying this Olympus LS10. Oh, yeah, that's the you've got the um, little Olympus recorder. Yeah. Is it good? Like does it, it fulfil your dreams? It certainly does, and I like it that I can plug the binaural microphone straight into it without having to have all of that phantom power nonsense. Well, and how does the battery life, it, how's the battery life when you plug the... Phantom in, what's that like? It doesn't seem to make it. Well, it hasn't seemed to have affected it. Um, I did have it switched to the zoom mode while I had the binaural microphones in, though I did that by mistake and didn't realize that I'd done that. So I was wondering why my binaural recording didn't sound binaural, but I've worked that out now. This is the little uh, Olympus LS10, which uh, I think we shot a video of the LS11, which is essentially the same. It's a little handheld recorder. Really nice, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's, all metal- it's all metal. It's a lovely construction, isn't it? It's sort of very quality yeah. made. And it's got, uh, what's the stuff it's got? And it's got a confidence speaker. It's got a couple of mics, mic inputs, all that kind of thing, and phantom power. Um, the LS11, which uh, they've just announced, uh, is pretty much the same, except it's got improved battery life and 8 gig built-in RAM, whereas this is only 2, I believe. But it does 96K, doesn't it? 24-bit? Yeah, it does. I think LS11 also has an instant record feature. You have to switch this on first, or you have to boot this first. Whereas I think the LS11, you can just press a button and it will instantly spring to life and record things without having to boot the whole operating system. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds very useful. Because that's the thing with all of these things. I mean, even though I dearly love my Zoom H4n, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of hardware. I know, Rich, you concur. You've, you, you've had one for a little while, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty handy device. Beautiful. I mean, just such a you know boon to use uh, in pretty much every environment I've seen at the moment. I, I can't see it. It still takes a while to switch on. You can't just kind of point at something and press a button. It has to be switched on. It takes a little while to boot up. I mean, it's not as slow to boot as the H4, but it still takes a, a little bit of time. So that is a handy feature, definitely. Oh right, yeah. okay. So we'll say thank you to Rich Hilton, MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you, Rich, for joining us. Always a pleasure. But, well, have a lovely day, wrapped up warm. Uh, I think I'm going to go home and have another open fire because our our, uh, our fireplace has been commissioned, so I'm looking forward to c- cuddling up with a, uh, on the sofa editing the podcast. Anyway, Mark, autismhero.com, thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome, thank you. And, of course, finally, Dave Spears, G4 Software. Uh, I'm sure you want the show to go on to ever, forever so that you can uh, just not have to go back to work. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 but it's been a nice oasis for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, and I, we must get together again. I'm, lo- I'm looking longingly at the spa in Bath, thinking I want to float about in a pool up there and just sort of, you know, do not very much at all for a, a couple actually, of hours. Actually, we're coming, we're coming down next week, so I may actually be in the office for the podcast. Oh, tremendous. Okay. We've got to, we've got to bring an instrument down to uh, Mr. Perry. Uh, Are you going to bring champagne again? Nah. Uh, I doubt it. It's Credit Crunch on maybe light and bitter. Maybe. <laughs> Some Evian or something like that. More budget. Yeah, no, we, we both, uh, Chris and I might come down next oh, week. Oh, brilliant. So. Yeah, well, you're both welcome. I've got enough, um, I think I've got enough mics. Thanks. That was Sonic Talk number 164. We'll, um, we'll call it a sunny, King Sunny, and um, see you next week. Thanks a lot.